Welcome to Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. On this podcast, we journey through the devastating experience of the death of a child. Grief is seldom discussed openly in our culture, and the death of a child makes people feel even more uncomfortable. We approach the topic openly and honestly, speaking to people who have lost loved ones and experts who help care for them. Whether you are a parent experiencing loss or someone who wants to support another going through this tragedy, this podcast strives to offer hope and help. Welcome to episode 137 of Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. I'm Marcy Larson, Andy's Mom. Today, I am delighted to introduce you to Rachel, Maddie's mom. I'm not going to give much of an introduction today because we just have such a great discussion that I don't want to limit. Thank you so much, Rachel, for agreeing to come on the Always Andy's Mom podcast today. I'm so excited to talk to you. Me too. So... Normally, to all of my regular listeners, you know that we always start out by talking about our child and their personalities and all about them. And we will definitely get to that because I really want to spend a lot of time talking about Maddie. But with Rachel, we're going to go back a little bit further because Rachel's got a unique story and that she dealt with a lot of grief over the years. I think it's important to kind of go there just so that we can understand where her head sort of started and then talk about what what she maybe expected to happen and what really did happen after she lost her own son, Maddie. So why don't you just start off by giving us a little bit of that kind of background for us, Rachel? Like, um, way to start off on a positive yeah, note there, know, Marcy. Right. As a child, I... I had lost, but I was too young to really acknowledge like the certain losses of like when you're like seven, eight, nine years old. Right. But the biggest one that impacted me was when I lost my father um, at 17. It's crazy because I don't really talk about this that much. So I was actually pregnant at 17 with my daughter. Okay. I was supposed to be with my father that night when he died. And I wasn't because my daughter was a baby and she was crying and we didn't end up going together. And he died in a, in a single car accident. And that was very traumatic. I remember my mom getting that call and screaming. And then I was just screaming because I was like, what's going on? What's, you know, happening? And then going through all the events when you lose your parent at, as a teen, when, I mean, that you rely, I was still relying, you know, on him yeah. to be there. And he was a sole provider and, you know, everything that we went through, we lost everything as a child. Like at 17, like we lost our house, we lost everything. We, yeah. Everything was gone instantly. It wasn't just my father. It was everything. Yeah. Your whole life, really. Yeah. We had to find our own ways. Like, and we all separated my brother and my mom and I, we all went our own ways to take care of our own selves and, you know, try to survive financially, I guess that grief, it, it still sticks with me to this day. My losing my father, it's, it was very traumatic experience. And then as I grew up, I, I think I would keep, became very close to my grandparents because of the fact that I lost my father. Yeah. And my mom kind of went her way and I was kind of, those were my parents, basically. Those were the people that I went to like mm -hmm. for anything at all. My grandmother ended up dying of cancer and my grandfather ended up falling down the stairs because, you know, he couldn't live without her. They were 
just in their early 70s. And they died within four months of each other. And that was a blow because that was my like sounding rock right there. That was the people that I went to for Mm -hmm. solid advice that were always consistent. And how old were you then? I was 26 when that happened. So just not that many years later, really. Yeah, Mm -hmm. not really. So I didn't really know. And I was the one that had to pick out my, because everyone was just a mess. My mom, her brothers, my grandfather was running around popping aspirin. I had to pick out my grandmother's urn. I had to do all of the, you know, the things that you have to do when someone passes. And when my grandfather fell, I had to be there to tell them they could take him off the machine. Like all of these things. And you're just thinking, this is horrible. Like, you know, you watch the family crumble, you watch, you know, even my mom was just not the same, like after that, you know, after losing her mother and her father. And then my, my uncle, and we were close family. So my uncle had his son, Rodney, he was 26. Um, He got H1N1 11 years ago, in February, he passed. I was there every night with him in the ICU for 24 days straight. So that was extremely hard because we were, it was like my brother, you know, he was like my little brother. And at the same time as that was happening, my husband's cousin's son got H1N1 and we got a phone call to rush there. And when I walked in, you know, here I had spent all this time in the ICU with my cousin watching everything they're doing. And I walked in and there's no propofol hanging. There's no nothing and he's completely unconscious and he's 11 years old and he sits at school right next to my son and their friends and I'm walking this room and I'm looking at the same exact equipment that I'm looking at my cousins yeah. same time so it was like two weeks prior to my cousin dying Caleb with this little boy I walked in there and I looked at my husband and I was like he's he's gone you you don't you this is not right like what's happening in here right now they just haven't told her and I wasn't as close to his cousin as I am now, obviously, uh-huh. right. um, being in the room when she lost her son. And they eventually did. T- I think the nurse kind of caught on to me realizing that this wasn't lining up in my head. Yeah. And they ended up telling her that he was gone. And that, oddly enough, out of all of the death that I experienced, when I saw this 11-year-old pass away in front of me, I was like, oh, no, like, right. this is just- because no it's way. out of order it's yeah, out of like, order. No way, this little boy like this is just i and here i've experienced all this loss in front of me right it, you know passing in front of me and i'm like no way and then two weeks later my own cousin in front of me that was and i'm standing right next to my uncle looking up at him and just how is he staying here you know yeah and i had another loss when i was i want to say about the same time as my grandparents, 24, 25, as my best friend's little brother, he passed at 23 of leukemia. And we were super close. I had to pick her up and take her. Her mom told me, go get her and bring her here. So I was in the room for that passing as well. And that grief with her, and we are still really good friends. All of this grief, and I'm, I'm the whole time that I'm watching all this happen and these people pass, uh-huh. I'm looking at the faces of everyone around thinking, how are they staying? Right. How is this possible? You know, like I'm looking at like mother or my uncle or that, you know, I couldn't get it. And I try to be as supportive as possible to everyone that 
because I felt like it was my grief too. Cause I was, I was there. Right. You know, I was right there with them. So it's like a memory burned into my mind when I think of them. I, I, I thought I just knew grief, you know, I really did. Right. I mean, having that much, how could you not, how could you not think, well, I, there's nothing more for me to know. Like, I know it's going to be awful, but there's nothing that could be really different about Mm -hmm. what it would be like for me as a mom. Yeah. And I, I would sit like, I watched as my best friend grieved her brother, knowing how I felt when I lost my father and how alone I was. And, and basically everybody just, you know, goes on their way. And here I am a kid. And when I, she lost her brother, I was very, very supportive in the fact that whenever she wanted to talk about him, we talked about him. If any, at any time and the things that happened that were different with her mom and, and how she grieved differently than, than she grieved and how it affected her children. You know, we always talked about that and I always felt bad like for her mom because I knew her mom, you know, is is she's grieving her son. And then I felt bad for my friend because she lost her brother and her mom. Right. We always have this running joke because his picture will fall out sometimes when something bad's happening. And I'm always like, there he is. He's coming to tell me something. I, to this day, we always honor him and talk about him. And when the the 11 year old, like my husband's cousin's son passed, his mom would call me just occasionally. And I, I would see her out and I would be like, man, she's strong. Like, look at her smiling. Like this woman, like I, I looked up to her almost like, I can't believe how amazing she's handling this. Like, this is crazy. Like how, yeah, how she's doing it. And then my uncle, oh man, he went, he didn't talk. He has had three strokes, a heart attack, all of these things since his son passed and his grief went inward. And I can see the difference between how they, they both grieved. That was surprising to me. So here I thought, I thought I was some kind of a grief expert. (laughs) Right. I see how she did it, which is awesome. I see how he did it. Not so awesome. You're right. You feel like, okay, a little bit prepared. Now, I I do want to go way back now. So now I really just want to talk about Maddie first so that we can learn about him and get to know him a little bit. Um, Matthew, because I got pregnant so young and I was now, you know, super hyper vigilant about not making a mistake in my life. I waited a long time to have another kid. I think he's uh, about six to seven years younger than my oldest. Mm-hmm he was just planned, like completely planned, you know, vitamins before everything was planned for for this one. Like I had this one under control far from the truth. Cause when, as soon as he was born, it was just completely complex and he was jaundiced really bad. And on the little belly bed at home as a baby and weeks of those little pinpricks on his feet and just very stressful. And then at one month when I'm thinking, yes, jaundice is gone. That doctor put that stethoscope on his heart and didn't say a word for minutes. I remember looking over at my mom going, what is he doing? And it was almost like silence in the room. He's like, I need a chest x-ray immediately. What the heck? You know, what's going on? And then they start doing all of this stuff and they come out and they tell me that he has a congenital heart defect. And I was like, 
24 years old. What in the heck is a congenital heart defect? No way. I planned this child. Yeah. Oddly yeah. enough, when I was pregnant, he was flipped backwards when they did the ultrasounds. They couldn't really get a good picture of a lot of things. So this is something they should have seen. Yeah. Is what yeah. I was told. Right. Normally um, you would. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So you, we go through that whole process of tests, EKGs, echocardiograms on my one month old baby. I'm totally panicked. At this time, my grandmother was still alive and she was a cardiac nurse. So of course my focus is her in right. this situation, you know, they had, when I finally talked to his cardiologist, amazing man, he told me that he had atrial septal defect and that he had pulmonary stenosis and he had aortic stenosis. He had a bicuspid aortic. And like, so it was like a different language to me, which of course I, as the mom Googled every single thing he said. Uh-huh. And I even found like little diagrams. The heart is the house, like how it works. Cause here I'm not, you know, yep. a doc. so I'm like, okay, I get this doors, you know, yep. house, was like pulmonary a, was arteries great. leaving yeah. the heart to go to the lungs. They ordered the heart it was to go a, to the body. And They're both too small. That's for, not awesome. A lot of yes, work on the heart. It's to color. And I thought, how cool was that? It was for kids to color to understand. Uh-huh. So I was like, this is great for me. I'm coloring this. <laughs> Very good. I, so we went through that process. He was very sick as a baby. Like we were on six breathing treatments a day. We would go to the hospital almost once a week. He would turn purple and the doctor would be, tell me, you know, maybe about five, we'll do the surgery. Maybe about five. It ended up being at two, two years old because he was not handling it well. He didn't, uh, a cath and he just said the pressure on his heart is just way, way, way too much. And yeah. we need, we need this to go. I think that from birth, my relationship with Matt was just constant, like worry about this kid, worry about this kid. And I, and I was still hyper vigilant on, you know, my other kids. So, but he was just always a worry for me. So as he made it through the surgery and he recovered well, he didn't turn purple anymore. He still had asthma and he ended up getting the fun stuff like food allergies to peanuts and he was just always that one that I was like, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen to Matt. Like, that's it. He's just always nonstop. I mean, if he was going to fall off something, he would fall off at the kid with the stitches the doing backflips at like four, he could ollie stairs at five years old on a skateboard. He was just nonstop. This yeah. kid. Like, I was like, did I have the only ADHD kid with a heart condition? Like what <laughs> here? Like, you're going to calm down. You're going to have a heart attack. That's what I always think. And I would use that one on him like all the time. Don't be doing anything stupid. You're, it's your heart. And we did, we had to see the cardiologist on a regular, uh-huh. even the, and when he turned 18, I took him and I said, you have to learn to handle this because you're going to be doing this the rest of your life. His last echo and, and mm-hmm. EKG, you know, every couple of years, you're going to have to do this. But he didn't like that. He's just going to make me probably go with him forever, you know, but I mean, we went through that. It was just something that we always knew was going to be an underlying issue with him, even though it didn't hold him back. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. So what all did he do? He was hilarious. Uh, He was funny. He was nonstop. Anything athletic that you could give this kid, it was like natural to him. Really? Anyway, I mean, when I watched him do backflips at four years old and front flips, I was like, how could, did he learn that? Like, how did he do that? <laughs> I mean, we would go wakeboarding. He could do that. He could dive. He could swim easily. He, 
any sport, skateboarding was very, very huge in his life as even as a young, young child. I mean, little boy, he, I have pictures of him just falling like four stairs. Kids didn't do that. Like <laughs> age, I was like, this kid is weird. But, and then he also played baseball. We wanted him in a, you know, sport we could control and think this is good. So as a child, he played T-ball and he moved up and he was again, so athletic. They moved him up so fast. I still feel bad to this day because he was 11 years old playing with kids going into high school. Really? Yeah. And he was left-handed so he could pitch, he could do all of these things. And I'm, I'm watching this kid and I didn't realize it until somebody put it, they were measuring how fast the kids that were going into high school were throwing the ball. And they were like 80 miles an hour. And I'm like, my son is 11. He's like this little, he hadn't hit the growth spurt. So he was like a little short uh-huh. kid. So I'm like, what is, what is going on here? And it, I feel like he could have stayed back. He would have got that, you know, boost of uh, ego. Yeah. Right. Like, right. 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 Up there with, with the big boys. And he did not care at all. He was right in there with them. No fear. Like, if they said anything, like some some of the kids, because I was younger and he, you know, they were older. So they're like, oh, Matt's mom, Matt's mom, (laughs) Matt's mom. And then Matt would be mad, boy. He did not like that. Very protective of me, like as a mom. And we were just super, super close. Like there was never a day that he didn't call me or text me or that I didn't talk to him or he just relied on me 100% relied on me and I love that you know as a mom we all want that kid that's like needs you you know yeah yeah that was very special to me like that we had that connection and no matter what he even if I yelled or you know like we do as moms he he was over it like almost immediately where the other kids are like talking to her for like hours you know yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> but he didn't care it just bounced off just, yeah just right off of them and I mean as he became older he got in another accident this is my fun child with my husband on a razor and he was 16 and he degloved the palm of his left hand oh didn't wow. know what degloving was okay this is another new one that was quite an event I had no clue how serious that injury was. So we're going through the whole process and they did the first surgery and it took him three hours to clean it. And when he woke up, you know, here he's 16 and he hasn't been under anesthesia since two. Oh, he was mad. He yelled at me and we went back to the room and the doctor was like, came in and he told us we, we have to do another surgery. His hand is so swollen. All we could do is clean the debris out and there's nerve damage and there's all of this stuff. So now he's even madder. It was interesting week and a half in the hospital with my 16 year old son and just him and I, we have to take a bath, but he can't give himself a bath. Well, you're not looking at me with nothing on. So we're going through all these experiences of how I'm going to take care of him, but yet give him his privacy as a young Mm -hmm. man. Mm -hmm. The next surgery was probably about four days later. And I remember looking at the surgeon and I said, how long? is the surgery going to take? And he was like, as long as it takes. And I was like, what kind of answer is that? You know, like, what, what does that mean? And so I didn't really think it was that, you know, a few hours, whatever, you know, no, this thing was eight hours long mm-hmm. and I was pacing the halls and I didn't tell anyone to come because I didn't think it was going to be 
like that. And I remember it being about 1 a.m. when they finally came out of surgery. And I'm just panicked because, you, you know, there's, they have these screens now and everybody's kid goes to here and then they go to recovery and then they're out and then just their names are all falling right. off the list of mine. And I'm like, no, no, no. What's going on? What's going on? What's going on? You know, pacing. Finally, they told me what had happened and that he had had nerve damage, which ruined baseball for him. Yeah. But when he woke up again, extremely angry and I'm just everything, even putting him in the bed, make my mom do it. Don't touch me. Let my mom do it. And finally, one nurse said to him, there's four of us. Your mother does not work here. And I'm like, he has to be the worst patient in here right now. He has to be. He's just so opinionated about everything. But everything was my mom's going to do it. Could I leave and go take a shower and get clothes? No, you're, you got to stay here. But we spent that time watching iZombie on my laptop in the bed with him and you know, holding his hand until he fell asleep or scratching his back and just talking about school and things like that. It was a, it was actually a very bonding time for us too, I think, because he was older. When he got out, he couldn't play baseball anymore. He went back into skating, which he was, I watched the kids in the Olympics and I'm like, oh, Matt, I wish yeah. you were here. Because he just made it like effortless. Like yeah. everything he did was so effortless and so beautifully done and his personality and his laugh he played Fortnite and that yelling at that game every night and he had told me right before he passed that he had made it into the championship and I was like how do you do leave it to this kid to maybe possibly start to make money up something I'm yelling at him about every day (laughs) right right previous to that we had gotten him into um, the union as a motion set painter his father worked there and he got a man and boy, he hated that. You're talking the awesome job, great benefits, massive pay, you know, for an 18 year old kid. And, you know, we live in California, 405 freeway commuting. I would have to get him up every morning at three, bang on the door to get him out of the shower, get him in the car. He'd lose his ID every day. It was like, I think reasons to not go Uh to work. And finally, one day he looked at me and he said, mom, I don't want to do something that I hate for the rest of my life. And I was like, Maddie, like, this is amazing. Like, you can't give this career up. And he's like, I'll take the test. Like, there was a final test that he had to take after he got his hours. But he's like, I really just don't want to do this right now. Like, I, I just don't. And I had to sit back and, I, and I'm glad I did this now. And I said, okay, you know, take a break and, and figure that out. During that time, we were transitioning our business and had to move my office back to the house for a brief moment until we figured out where we were going to move everything. Mm-hmm. So I got to spend a lot of time with him home and me home working. And that happened to be about three months before he passed. So we had all that time. And I was thinking, what if I would have just pushed him to stay working and not had these moments, you know, not knowing what was yeah. going to happen? Those are precious certainly not. Yeah, it was, it was, and, and I didn't realize it. And I'm, I'm glad that I let him have that moment. I'm sure I would have eventually pushed hard on him yeah. afterward, but yeah, I let him be him at that moment. And I think that was good. Yeah. Thank you. Good choice. Yeah. So do you want to talk now about what happened? Because he had that awesome job. He went out and he had bought an infinity, beautiful okay. car, nice car. And 
he hung out with some new kids that I really, you know, I was kind of hesitant on them, but my son's personality was a type that throughout his life, I had found children living in our garage, like <laughs> literally took in, I was like, they weren't straight dogs. They were straight children. Like yeah. he took them in. That was him. Like mom, they don't have anywhere to go. Cause we have this big shop out back and you go out there and it would just, I was like, now is the shelter for children that have nowhere to go. And I had a lot of stories from these boys afterwards. And I just remember seeing this one boy and I, I kept thinking to myself, I don't know, just something just didn't fit in with him, you know? Mm-hmm. And after Matt's hand accident, he did start smoking like weed a lot. Here we are in California. So that's a hard conversation with your kid. Yeah. And it didn't seem to affect him in some horrific way. But when this boy came around, I, I don't know, there was something different. He was one of the last people that I saw leave the house with my son. The day of my son's accident, it was 420, oddly enough. And I hadn't seen him that day, which was weird because it was a Saturday and you know, we always talked and always saw each other. I remember just being hyper, like focused on where's Matt? Like it's early, no reason for me to be concerned. And I remember sending him a text midday too. Like it was like a copy and paste of like the effects of marijuana long-term, like, you know, doing like stupid stuff like a mom would do. And he always responded and he didn't respond that day. As the day progressed, I, I didn't really think much of it because, again, it was early. Like, he's 19 at the time. Like, yeah. he left with his friends. I could see on the camera that they came in and out. And my husband and I went to dinner. And we came home. And I still hadn't heard from him. And it was about 7 o'clock at this time. I, I remember looking at my husband and I was panicked. For, it was like something internally. I swear it was it, it was almost like I could feel it to the core. Yeah. Something was wrong. And I remember freaking out, telling my husband, you need to call him. I was calling him. I made his sister call. Um, my husband and my son's dad are not the same person at this time. It's mm-hmm. a different story, but um, he'd been with him. My husband now has been raising him since he was one and a half. I'm having his biological father call. I'm having my husband call. I'm having a sister call. I'm calling. Matt's not answering. Matt's not answering. Why? This is weird. None of us, not one of us. And so it was probably about 7.30. You know, now my husband's mad at me. He tells me I'm being dramatic. You know, he's 19. He's a boy. Like, leave him alone. He's fine. So then we get an argument. So me being completely out of my mind for some reason, I decide I'm going to go and sit in my car. I'm so mad at my husband. I'm going to go sleep in my car and wait for this kid to get home. And I did just that except for that the person that woke me up was my husband and three cops that told me that he died. It was literally, I can walk there from here. I can walk straight there. They just said, you know, um, that he didn't have a seatbelt on and they think he was driving at a high rate of speed and lost control. At the time, I didn't, I didn't say anything except for where is he? Yeah. That's all I kept saying. Where is my son? Where is my son? Over and over again. It wasn't even, I didn't care what happened. I just want to know, where is he? Yeah. And they told me that he was at the hospital. And now this is 11 o'clock at night. And this accident had happened at 737. And they did not call or tell us anything. We literally lived walking distance from where he passed. We went to the hospital. And my husband called our daughters. And they, they're older than him. 
and they met us there. And as I walked in, my oldest daughter is just hysterically cleaning him. The other one's on the floor crying. The physician didn't close the curtain for hours. So everyone in the, in the hospital knew he was gone. They told my girls in the middle of the hall that their brother was dead. And they thought that we were being dramatic, that, that he was still alive. So they didn't even know really. So that was hard. And and I remember my, my oldest daughter, she was pregnant at the time and she was just obsessively trying to clean him before I got, before I got down the hall. Cause it, it was just like, he was just like, he didn't pass there. I don't think, I think they did everything that they had to do, but I think he passed in, in transport um, is what it read to me when I read the reports and his eyes were still open. I'll never forget that. They were wide open and somebody had to have been holding his hand and it just killed me because I was like, how was I not that person to yeah. be the last person that he saw? you know, or the, the one to hold his hand or how scared he must have been, or were they loving? Were they kind to him? Did they, you know, you're thinking all these things as a mom, like, were they, were they being nice to him? Like, or were they just treating him like some stupid 19 year old boy, you know, like all of those things were rushing through my head. And I, I couldn't figure out why did this happen? Like Matthew had been stealing my car since he was 14. This kid knew how to drive. Like, you know, I couldn't grasp it. So I grabbed his phone that that the, the police had left with me. They just gave it to me when they told me. And I looked at his last call and his last call was to the friend he was driving to. And he told me, he was like, I was on the phone with him. And he said, someone's chasing me. He's like, I can't get rid of them. And then everything started to make sense. And we have this wonderful little page out here on Facebook that likes to get involved in everyone's life. Um, okay unbeknownst to me, I did not know that this is happening, that there was people posting on this scan page that, oh my God, I can't believe this boy's mother's not here. He's laying here dead. I've been here in the hospital for hours. Like what kind of parent does that? Oh, that's the kid that was racing his car through our neighborhood. Think, you know, his brand new infinity, trying to check it out, all these things. And so they, as I start to figure out this stuff is happening, One comment in there says, does anyone not see that the back end of his car has been hit? And I was like, that's weird. And then the, everything just started to kind of make sense to me, but where we live is very like open and where he was driving, it was a very, very wide street, all backyards, no cameras, no ability to to know what happened at what time. Um, And when Matthew crashed, there's the electrical box right there. So it took out the whole neighborhood's electricity. So I really, to this day, still don't know the entire truth. And there was not a really good investigation open on it, though they did, you know, look into things and said that they do believe that this is the events that occurred. But I just don't feel like there was very much emphasis put onto what happened. You know, that bothers me to this day, because when I got his toxicology report back, I swore I thought I was going to find something else, something that made sense. Yeah. And I knew he smoked weed. And then there was one other product in the system. And then that was completely my fault, but it still didn't make sense to the accident. And that was at the time I had been taking Adderall, running a company with 50 employees and all the things that I was doing, you know, I have ADHD and I'm trying to focus and I, and 
I think that's what he took. It was in medical range is what the coroner told me. And I was like, but there's nothing else. There's no, I thought, am I going to find fentanyl? Am I going to find lean? Am I going to find, yeah, you know, something that would make sense to why this would happen. And I couldn't wrap my head around it at all. I kind of had to let a lot of it go because it was driving me insane. Yeah. Basically. But at the hospital, finally, they pushed us into a private room. It was Easter weekend. And I remember the nurse walking in and you're in that daze, you know, just yeah, really dazed. And she said, well, what are your plans? Just like that. And I was like, I remember looking at her just blankly. Like, I, I, I don't yeah. know. I know. No clue. No clue. What, what do I do? And then she just said, well, I can't make you leave until the coroner gets here and hands me a pink post-it note with a number on it and a case number and walks out of the room. I still am standing there like, I don't know what to do. My ex-husband kind of took over at that moment. I think he was a little more able to, uh-huh. you know, where to go or from there. And I, I just, I didn't want to leave. Yeah. I didn't want to leave. I would have stayed there. I remember looking up at my my daughter, my oldest one, knowing that she was pregnant. And I just thought, I can't do this to her. You know, like, I don't know what's going to happen if she stays here watching me break down like this, you know? And I was like, okay, I got to go. And I, I remember it felt like my feet were like into the concrete. Like I had grown into this building. Like I was not going to move. Basically, my husband says that's true. I, I was practically carried out of there, like, you know, just in pure devastation. And every day since has, has felt that way. You're just devastated inside. And it and is so hard when you don't know exactly what happened. And that's, that's a tough thing. To, yeah. yeah. And that, you know, I'm one of those, uh, when I called the coroner, I met a, a very unfriendly man who ended up being very kind to me at the end, but he said, I, I, I didn't know. I just called him and like, where's my son? Like, I want to know. Still here. I want to know. And he said, you're one of those moms, aren't you? And I said, excuse me. And he was like, you're one of those moms, those helicopter moms. Oh boy. I never felt so angry in my life. Like, did you just say that to me right now? Like I said, if I was a helicopter mom, my son would be alive apparently. Right. Because I would have saved him. But he really lit one on under me, man, this man. And so I continued to call daily to find out what was going on. And I started to learn about the coroner's office. And uh, when I finally got my son an autopsy, it wasn't my son's, it was someone else's. Oh, no. That led me into a complete mother craze of I'm going to fix the coroner's office. And boy, I, I documented everything. I went down there with 20 binders. I sat in front of 20 board members and I handed it to them. Did yeah. it get me anywhere? No, no. but. <laughs> well, sometimes you just feel like you need to do something. I mean, that's the mm-hmm. thing. You just need to do something. And Yeah. You took him. You said you were doing an autopsy. All they did was toxicology. It, he has a clear open heart surgery scar on his chest, not even marked. His injury on his hand, not even marked on the paperwork. Nothing. I pointed out everything they did wrong. Yeah. How do we know he didn't have a heart attack? How do we know, you know, anything? Yeah. We don't know because you didn't do your job. We've kept good relations at, since then. The coroner's office and I, they update me on their changes. Like 
you know, have someone sign for an autopsy. Don't just mail it out to random people. Like, yeah, that was upsetting because now that child and it was a child passing is like engraved into my head of how that happened. And I have I had all the details and I I told them, I go, that's a violation. They said only if you tell the parent and I and the last thing I'm going to do is call up some family and tell them for sure. So I just was like, you're going to make changes and you're going to report to me regularly. <laughs> That's what I told them. So they started to, and, and, and they still communicate with me to this day regularly on some different things that they've updated. They could be lying, but they do it. But I, I can say that for a year and a half, I think it was a complete fog. We had yeah. to, we own our own business. My husband looked at me on the Sunday after my son passed and he said, you know, we're not like regular people, right? Like you have to go to work tomorrow. You have to work. We have all these employees. We were the people that run this company. You cannot not work. I'm looking at this man like I'm about to stab you right now. Right. Are you out of your mind? And somehow I did it. And I literally left myself post-it notes for like later when I went back to look at things. It was almost like someone else took over me to make this happen. About a year and a half in, I remember being more like aware of everything. And I almost wanted to run right back into that fog like immediately because it was like being hit by a freight train. Like I thought I already felt the worst pain I could ever feel. And now I'm face front in it. No fog. Right. No hiding. Nothing. And here it's been over a year. So where's everyone? gone it's been a year yep you should be over it by now yep my own brother are you gonna get over this i said yeah yeah, i can get over you i'm never i'm never gonna get over this i'm I'm never gonna get over this so that brings us back i think to where you had started and feeling like you kind of knew grief and you knew what to expect Mm -hmm. Mm -mm. but you didn't you didn't. No, not at and, all. And that's where your brother sits to this day, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he, in his mind, is like, you know, I lost my dad. I lost my grandparents. I lost, you know what I mean? He's went through a lot of those losses, and now he lost his nephew, and it feels the same to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he feels like this is all the same. It's all horrible. It's all terrible, but it's all the same. But for you... Yeah. It's it's night and day. It's not even close. It's not even close. That is the thing. I I mean, I don't like to say that I love other grieving mothers because I don't want there to be another one. Right. But I love them because they understand even the fathers. And I only have met a few that will open up, but they just get it. Yeah. You don't think that you're crazy for what you're feeling. And to talk to them is is a therapy. Yeah. Oh, I think without a doubt. I've made many comparisons on my son's death and my father's death. So like the Yeah, first well they're both car accident deaths and yeah. single car accident. Single car accident, yeah. And I'm just like, whose life does this happen in? Like, but then I meet moms that lose more than one child or you know, so I'm thinking, don't be selfish, don't act like that, like you, you whatever, but I'm I'm still like that was my baby. Like Yeah. If the if I put the grief on a scale, it's gone with your child through the roof. It's just so different. I mean, and I think you really brought up a good point way at the beginning when you talked about even when 
you saw that 11 year old boy die, you know, your husband's cousin's son, it was different to you. And I really think that goes with, uh, it's out of order, you know? Yes. Um, my mom died too. When I was tw 21, she was 42 years old. That's really young. It is. It's really young. I get that. I know that. And that's at the age where you're like, now I get my mom and I want her. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, right. I, life, right. I want her to tell me stuff. You lost her at a very, very important time. Well, yes, but my point is, even though she was only 42 years old and very young, she died before me and that's what's expected. It was horrible. It was terrible. I hated having to go through college without her. She, I mean, we had talked on the phone every single day when I went away to college. Every day I was on the phone with her. So it was horrible to lose her. But still, in, part, in my mind, it's still in the right order, right? Yeah. You expect your parents to die before you. And even though I'm young and it's horrible and terrible... It's, it doesn't have the wrongness to it like that. Yes. You know, I think about watching my grandma mourn her, and that was different because, again, I mean, I felt terrible for myself. Obviously, I spent a ton more time with her at that point in my life than she was spending with her mom. But mm. when it's your little girl, that's not the way it's supposed to happen. So yeah. watching them grieve, you know, her mom and dad, my grandparents grieve her was hard to see I didn't get to experience that because my my father's dad was already gone and yeah. his mother was pretty distant uh -huh. um, that I never experienced so that I experienced my uncle and everyone else but I didn't experience my grandparents grief and my grandma's grief his his mother mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. wasn't very close to her that side of the family but I don't know what, how she I mean, it's it. terrible, right? I mean, I, yeah. I couldn't have imagined anything worse than losing my mom when I was 21. Yeah. But then I lost Andy and then it's just different. And it's, and I shouldn't say that. I mean, I feel like then I'm comparing grief and it's terrible to compare grief because everyone's grief is unique and everyone's grief is horrible. And if it's the worst you've experienced, that's the worst you've experienced, right? And, you know, maybe it's your pet dog and that's the worst you've experienced. That's devastating for you and the worst you can imagine. So I don't want to belittle any of that at all because if it's your worst, that's your worst. Yeah. But it is, I think, valuable to be able to look, as you said, to other grieving moms and bereaved moms because you can have something that you really can bond with them about so that you because you can kind of get each other and understand each other in ways that others can't yeah and, and you know there's those which you're probably going to understand and they're ugly moments I mean we have ugly ugly moments as a grieving mom like yeah that basically you should be embarrassed if you weren't, you know, in that situation. And, and I can tell another grieving mom, Oh, I completely just acted a fool. Like I let all of my grief come out in rage and anger and the wrong way to the wrong people. And, you know, I regret that behavior, but I, I did it and they get it. They're like, Oh no. Oh yeah. I get it. Like I get it. And they don't say, oh my God, I can't believe you did that. 
like, or you should be ashamed of yourself or, or that's really weird. Like they're like, Oh no, I get it. So it's nice to have that person to say, you know what? You're not crazy. Yeah. Not crazy. And you know, I was telling you before we started recording that I'm having a really kind of emotional day because tonight is the Lenten concert for the Grand Rapids Choir Men and Boys where Andy was one of the head choristers and I'm going to go and it's going to hurt me horribly and I am going to probably cry through every second of it because that's what I've been done every time I've gone but Mm -hmm. I feel so close to him there because I can feel like I can hear him and I can close my eyes and I can see him so I will really make a fool out of myself at this concert because there will be hundreds of people there and they're going to see this one crazy woman crying the whole time and I don't care yeah I don't care and it's and I will tuck myself a little bit off to the side so that I'm not going to be a distraction I hope and bother other people and I know there'll be people there that'll look at her and think, what's wrong with that weirdo lady? Mm-hmm. But, you know, that's what I need to do for me. And if it makes other people think that I'm weird or feel a little uncomfortable or whatever, that's the way it is. But even though it's going to be hard, it gives me a little bit of closeness too, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So sometimes you just need to do those things, even if they're crazy. <laughs> you just do I've done them. I've walked right to my son's crash site late at night, fell asleep in the dirt. One of his friends actually found me there one night. That was embarrassing, but you just sort of sit here in your head alone and everyone's gone. And, and I'm just like, where do I go? What do I do? I'm walking there. I'm going like, I'm, I'm going to go sit with him. And, and then you just cry and then you're just a wreck, you know, just on your knees, basically like, why like why 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 and I I mean I've done those things and I'm like oh my gosh how embarrassing like and here comes one of my son's friends that he knew since kindergarten like you know like mom like what are you okay like you know just loving kind just totally understanding but it was embarrassing you know like here I am a grown woman what am I doing over here sleeping in the dirt like (laughs) (laughs) what what are you doing like and I, it's just all that grief, that pain, that longing for them, yeah. you know, like the child. Like, Well, and y- you brought up another point before we started recording about seeing a hypnotherapist. I want you to share that now because I think that that goes along yeah, with what we're was, saying too. Yeah, that's a, that was a, like I had said, I, I mean, I've been through a lot of different counselors in life and it just didn't fit with me not nothing against therapy at all because I I feel like that whatever works works hey you know yeah I had been suggested to go to a hypnotherapist when I was eight I was only 18 yeah after your dad's death yeah I remember sitting there and when he was explaining to me how in his terms of how our mind stores pain he's he described them as filing cabinets so we store you know our our pain here we store love here we store happiness here and every time something happens we open up those cabinets and store that memory back whether it's he was describing it as if you stub your toe it goes into the pain filing cabinet if someone hurts your feeling it goes there if someone dies it goes there and then every time you reopen that cabinet it's like all of that pain is coming back to hit you because it's all just stored in there not 
not gone through, not looked at, not anything. It's just in that filing cabinet, pushed away and only opened when you're filing something back. I walked away with that. Like that was very interesting way to describe where we store pain and why maybe my pain comes out as anger because sometimes, you know, you stub your toe. What do you do? Yell. Yeah. Bad. Like you stub your toe because that hurt and you're irritated that you did it. So you store it in the pain, but you, it reflects as anger. So it's interesting. It's kind of, it was an interesting way that he described everything to me. And it makes sense. Even when I, when I analyze myself now, because I feel like I have a lot of anger uh-huh. towards that. My son has gone towards this pain and why, and towards even all of the losses that we as grieving parents have secondary, uh-huh. all of that stuff is just ignites you and it's just pain. Yeah. It's your hurt. Exactly. And you're letting it out. And then it just sometimes has come out the right way. But Well, and it really describes what is happens when you get a trigger, right? When something triggers mm-hmm. you, that it's just a little thing. But if it's this little thing that now needed to go in that filing cabinet, now I had to open the filing cabinet and wah, it just yeah. blew up, right? That's what those triggers are. Really, and that's why I love that analogy so much because it just really describes what happens when you get a trigger, even though it's something that looks from the outside exceedingly small. Yes. But it just gets that little bit of pain and now like, oh, I got to try to put that somewhere. Whoa, Mm -hmm. it just blew up. It's just like the grocery store. Yeah. What most moms will say, what's the, it's so horrible to go to the grocery store. Oh, it's terrible. And, and that's that you just look at that one thing and you're like, I'm not buying that one thing anymore. Like that, that's the one thing I bought every time I came here. And then you, even if buying it would fix something, then it's just sitting in your house. You know? <laughs> There's nothing you can do. It just tr- immediately triggers you and you become that weird woman in the store crying at a box of Kraft mac and cheese or something, you know, it, it's almost like you become socially awkward and uh-huh. you, then you're trying to like, compose yourself and keep yourself as this person that you're supposed to be but now you're crying you know mac and cheese like no one nobody gets it and you then you realize okay I can't be that person that just shouts out every five seconds my son's gone my son's dead because you know I did that in the beginning I mean I don't know if you did but I, I was like immediately my son's dead like you could be spectrum cable on the phone I'm telling you. You say that because I did that to Michigan Blood. They called me for a blood drive. And <laughs> it was like, Andy had only been gone a few days. And, and they called to ask if I could donate blood. How are you doing today? I said, uh-huh. terrible. And, they, and instead of saying something like, oh, I'm sorry to hear that. This is probably a bad time. I'll call back later. She said, oh, why is that? And I said, and then, yes. my son is dead. And I hung up the phone on her. Mm-hmm. And you don't, and you're like, why did I just do that? I know the poor yeah. Michigan blood lady. I mean, she just, yeah, she, she did not deserve that at all. Mm-mm. Not and, at all. And do it. And I can remember when I, and I did it a lot in the beginning. Cause I was working immediately. Like yeah. if I, if I'd acted weird, if I said something weird and <clears throat> I was just like, I just blurted right out of my yeah. mouth. And it was constantly for me, it was constantly going through my head. Yeah. Andy is dead. Constantly. Andy is dead. Andy is dead. Your son is dead. 
just over and over and over because I knew that I really didn't believe it. And so there was a little part of me that kept like saying it in my head over and over, like, get this through your head, Marcy. Andy is dead. How are you? And I think it was almost like, how are you still getting up and taking a shower and doing this, that, and the other Mm -hmm. thing? Andy is dead. Like, it was those things, all those things that you were talking about, that mom that was doing great and doing awesome, like, oh, she's just amazing. She's doing all this stuff. It's because you can't see what's going on inside in her head. Mm -hmm. That's what people thought about you. Look at her. She's doing amazing because they can't see inside. Yeah, and I would always associate her with Matthew because they sat next to each other in school. They were cousins, you know, they, they sat next to each other in school. They're the same age. And I almost remember always feeling bad when I posted something about Matthew because I was thinking of her Yeah, and her associating them because they were the same age and cousins and, you know, yeah, new friends in school. And I remember always feeling like, oh God, she always probably must look at Matthew and just be devastated because that she's looking at him and seeing her son. And after Maddie passed here, I had no idea she was heading up a, a grief parent group and she was doing all of these things. And that's how I think she was yeah, being that person that I was like, how is she, how is she laughing over here? Like, I'm thinking, how is she doing it? This woman, how is she doing it? Like, she is doing amazing. And behind the scenes, what I found out later was it wasn't like that. No. You know, it wasn't like that at all after years, you know, and then after Matthew passed, she came over and told me like, Hey, you know, this is really what happened with me. I, that I couldn't see. When you didn't know. I mean, there are so many people that I know. I mean, I've got a podcast. It's listened to across the country, mm-hmm. around the world even. Right. So it's not tiny, but my friends around here, they don't know. I don't know. Yeah. They don't have any idea. They, I, I it's funny because I recently saw somebody in the office and her son had died years and years and years before. And I'd seen her once since Andy died, but I didn't have the courage to say anything to her. But, but yesterday I did. I had the courage and I said, I think about you differently now, you know. And so we talked. She had no clue that I had done anything. She's because I, I said, maybe you could email me sometime. And then I gave her my Marcy at Andy's mom.com email, which she was kind of shocked to even know existed, right? Because she didn't know any of this stuff that we do. She had said, I just couldn't believe that you kept going back to work, that you're, you're still a doctor and that you still do this. She didn't know any of the other things that I did because you just don't let people see that on the outside who don't kind of get the pain. I don't know if it's that we just compartmentalize it off. I think probably it is for me. I think I compartmentalize this part of my life from the rest of it. Mm-hmm. Putting on that, that, what do they call it? The mask. Yeah. Yeah. The Dr. Larson mask, which is yeah, definitely <laughs> its own mask for sure. I can go out and work and do things and people have no clue. I stand there and, and the crazy thing is the whole time you're talking to somebody, you're thinking in their head, like, these people have no idea that my son's dead to yep. this day. I still think that while I'm talking. To I don't do that quite as much now, I have to say. And, and I'll smile and, you know, have my conversation with them or, 
you know, we do a lot of uh, restoration work. So water damages and people are panicking and, you know, I calm them down and I'm talking to them, but I'm, they're, they're so upset about this and, and back and I get it, right? but I'm thinking like my son is dead. This is, you, you guys are freaking out about this. Like what's going to happen when something happens? You guys, no. you don't know. Yeah. They don't know. Right. My neighbor recently yelled at my, got mad because my mail went to her and I was like, okay, we don't live that far apart, but then something big came to my house for her. Boy, I was so happy to hop, jump and skip over there and <laughs> knock on that door and be like, hi, here, this came to my house. And then she was like, oh, these delivery people. I said, you know, there's bigger things that could happen in life that are more of a problem. I don't mind bringing this over to you. And I kind of probably did that to be nasty, but I wanted to point out like that was a ridiculous way to react over mail. Like, yeah, that is really, yeah, over the top. Not that big of a deal to get my mail accidentally. Yeah. But, and, and you just sit there and it's like, how do we get up every day? How do we do it? How do we move forward? And I don't know about you. Sometimes I feel guilty. Yeah. I feel that guilt of Maddie want me. He was so needy. Like he didn't care about anyone else. Like, you know, he wanted his mom. Yeah. And I think am I letting him down because I'm here still those thoughts cross my mind like and I think about my other kids and and I'm like I have to keep going and keep going and keep going but in the back of my mind is that guilt like where I'm not with him I let him go without me yeah about and, and then you have to tell yourself would he really want you gone well not really Right. Yeah. He would really want you with his sisters and he would really want you enjoying life and, and living again. But it's funny because you, you need to come there on your own mm-hmm. because I always get mad if people tell me that, would Andy want yeah. you to be like this? You know, it just irritates me when people say, yeah. but, but if I come to it on my own, then I'm okay. Then I, yeah. then I can be more okay with that. But it does take some work and take, and you're, you know, you're still not even two out or, I mean, you're, what are you about two years? In? It'll be three, three it'll years be three. on April 20th. Yeah. So I know. My, I was going to say, oh, wait, three. no, it'll be three. Yeah. It's so funny because when you emailed me, I knew exactly when it was that you, that yeah, Maddie died Easter. because I wrote back to you and I said that was Easter weekend. And mm-hmm. you said, yes, it was. Because Andy's birthday was on Easter that day, and he yeah. he died before the day before Andy's birthday. So, and that yeah, was the, right day. around the same time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And just even the word Easter, it'll send me into like, oh, I'm sure. Yeah, when anybody says that to you, you're probably like, oh, Easter. <laughs> just like, I, and and every and year now, I look at how close is it to Andy's birthday, Easter, because it's just mm-hmm. that's that was the first you know birthday without him was Easter Sunday, so. Yeah, that's and that's East. That was the first Easter. Like my mine was too. It was Easter Sunday was the next day. Yeah, it was the next and, day. And my even my mom the other day was like, "We spend Easter together. What do we do it on Easter?" And I'm like, "We spent Easter together on when Matt died. Like that's when we spent Easter together. We haven't done anything." But she just in her mind thinks we need to do something on Easter, and I keep thinking. Can you stop saying Easter? Yeah. Please. Easter. Like, just. Yeah. Again, some of those little triggers that make you open the filing cabinet again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
It's hard. It is hard. I honestly don't know what I'd do if I didn't randomly. I made like an Instagram page and then I made it private because I was like, can't let my kids see uh-huh. my grief or or me obsess over Matthew or post pictures of him or and a lot of moms feel that way. So I made just one by itself that's private. And I met a lot of moms that way. And I and just my story, I would write little things underneath it about, I don't know if it was how I felt when I woke up thinking of him or things that I missed about him or, you know, videos of him skating or, or just random things I'll post, like just anger or rage and then write something about how I'm feeling. And it was my way of getting, I guess what's inside of me out Uh then hiding it from everyone in my, my real world, I guess you would call it. So that they didn't know why I'll, you know, she's messed up or whatever, you know, she's crazy. Like, so I have this page and I think I'm close to about 300 people and I'm like, it's so awful. There's so many of them. Yeah. But it's so amazing how loving and how kind and how understanding they are and how they can reach out to me or I can reach out to them in those moments. And I, I wrote one time, I said, I don't think that grieving mothers and, and, and fathers, I'm not going to take them off that list understand that we're probably actually saving each other like second by second without even realizing it because we share this horrific journey together and by us just you know giving back to each other those are those moments where there's been so many times another mom has said something to me where I'm like okay and it's not a a judgment or an anger thing or it's it's just understanding it's just loving and kind and and I think that if it wasn't for that I don't know if I would have made it this far yeah. I don't I don't think I would have if it wasn't for that support and I know that people you know they reach out different in different ways but I for me connecting with others and what you're doing is so amazing like to connect with us and let us have a voice and our child have a voice mm-hmm. and your sons have a voice and and now purpose that is beyond even his life. And you get to honor him that way. And it's beautiful and amazing and, and sad all at the same time. Yeah. Everything all at the same together. time. All together. It's sad. But I mean, I, I wouldn't know what to do without like other moms like you. I really wouldn't. Yeah. And I appreciate what you're doing. Well, thank you so much, Rachel, for sharing Maddie with us today and for your Just beautiful thoughts. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much, too. Thanks for listening. If you found this helpful and would like to support the podcast, please leave a five-star rating and comment. To help financially, you can text Andy's Mom to the number 53555 or visit the donate page on andysmom.com. Your donations are secure and tax-deductible, and we are now able to accept Venmo, PayPal, and Apple Pay. Always Andy's Mom is a registered 501c3 organization and can receive donations through smile.amazon.com, Thrive in Financial, and Benevity, amongst others. Marcy loves hearing from listeners. Please feel free to reach out to her via email at marcy at andysmom.com. Also, be sure to sign up for the email list 
to receive weekly updates as well as pictures of all of Marcy's guests and their children. Together, let's work to inspire hope one day at a time.